Hello, and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we review and discuss movies, trailers, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. Today, we'll be taking a look at the fifth episode of the third season of Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian. My name is Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and Lord Commander of the Afternoon's Watch, Ivan. So is Lord Commander like the highest rank, or is it like, I thought it was like High Magistrate Commander or something like that? Well, no, Lord Commander's the highest, but you're not quite at the Night's Watch. You're you're in that early afternoon block. I'm on the afternoon shift. I'm prime yeah. time. That's what it is. Yeah, you're a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, I'm Let's after school special that. level. That's what it right. is. Yeah. You're reading Rainbow. I'm Kids WB, but like the block that you don't really want to watch until Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad place to be, though. Let me be honest. You're on TV. That's true. Yo, I miss Kids WB. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did kids just stop watching cartoons after school at some point? Like, is that why they got rid of it? Like, I never understood why that whole craze went away. What was uh, on Kids WB? Was that just like the Tom and Jerry stuff? And No, that was... Uh, I guess, so the big hitters were like Pokemon, Jackie Chan Adventures, Yu-Gi-Oh! Was Beyblades in there? Beyblade was in there, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blader, big time. We've so you were a kids before. WB kid for some time. Yeah. I never really got into in, in, into that, but like that, that was like the big popular block though. Like anything that was super popular was like kids WB for a while. That and I think there was like a Fox Kids channel. We don't talk about Fox. Okay, we'll <laughs> we'll just cut that out. Yes. <laughs> the Fox Kids had some good stuff though. They had the X Men animated series, Spider Man, I think. Stop trying to make Fox happen. Listen, I just there's some elements of Fox that we like, right? The Simpsons were good at one point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Enough said with that one, huh? All right. Let's what's get into going on our with walls. you, man. What about what's what's on your wall? What, what do you got going on? You know what? I got so much on my no, I don't. Um <laughs> I went to go watch John Wick 4 over the weekend. I thought it was pretty good. I've I've been watching the John Wick movies since the first one. They're not like you know, they're not the best narratives, nor are they like anything to write home about, but um, they're like your traditional action movies that we don't really seem to get all that much, but seem to be like everywhere back in the early to mid 2000s. But I, for what it is, this was like the most well choreographed, action packed movie I've ever seen. And that's the one big compliment I can give all the John Wick movies, but this one just kind of took the other ones off the table for in terms of like the like the the visual aesthetics and all that. Like it was such, it was such a great movie from like it's a great technical movie. It was very fun. Um, do not go if you're interested in a full on story because it's it's not. <laughs> Keanu Reeves delivers his most wooden performance. I feel like from anything he's been in, but um, it's a lot of fun. It, it's a fun action movie. If you like that kind of thing, and that's a, that's up right up your alley, I would recommend it highly. I don't like that sort of thing, so thank oh. you for telling me what alley to avoid. <laughs> thank you for telling me what not to watch. Eighty-six million though, uh, U.S. opening weekend—that's pretty impressive. I think it doubled the box office of the last time this particular director directed a John Wick movie, which I think was the second one, if I'm not mistaken. But these movies are made very cheaply, so like it, it's just it's pretty cool to see it win back a ton of money, considering like essentially this is made for like a fraction of what the big Hollywood films are made 
uh, with. Yeah, I think it's a bad thing, though. It just incentivizes making more. So we'll see John Wick <laughs> okay. 5 in a few years. We're definitely going to see John Wick 5 with the box oh, office numbers pulling in, man. Like, I don't see this franchise going anywhere anytime soon. It's fun, though. Like, it's just one of those movies where, like, I don't think anybody takes it all that seriously. So I can't believe you pay money to go see these things. I mean, I already pay for my AMC A list a month, right? So yeah, like, go, go see something, something else or get rid of the membership. <laughs> it's fun, okay? I, it's fun. Sometimes okay. I like to turn my brain off for like days at a time. So, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, <laughs> are, are you on today or off? It's on. Okay, it's on. cool. Yeah, Thanks for I showing made, up with your brain out today. I like took the cartridge off, blew on it, put it back in. I'm, ah. I'm, all, I'm all good. The, the quick restart. Yeah. I, I hear you. What, what What's on your wall? I was uh, struggling to figure out what it was going to be. But then, you know, every once in a while, you open up the streaming app that you haven't touched for a while. And for me, that was Netflix. And boy, would you know it, Shadow and Bone came back season two. I saw that. Yeah, I saw the first episode of the new season. I forgot how confusing this show is. <laughs> I had to watch not one, but two different YouTube videos of what happened in the first season to refresh my memory. <laughs> I've never listened to so many people like like just like us, extreme nerds, but for such a targeted passion of a show that no one's watching. Were you caught up, though, or were they too focused on like the little details of like the 27 things you <laughs> missed well they the problem with this show is like they just keep giving creatures and spells and stuff different names and it's so hard to keep them straight because it's in some made-up language it's like trying to learn dothraki if not like if game of thrones was entirely about the dothrakis it's just too much but the show is pretty good with like building up three or four episodes worth of uh, you see the plot or the plan going in one direction and then they do like a magician's reveal in the fifth episode and let you see like, oh, they were secretly plotting these betrayals or whatever, which is pretty fun. But this this show was also like season one came out around the same time as a few other similar shows. And I keep mixing up like different plot lines. Like it was this, it was like Wheel of Power on... Um, Amazon and then there was something else I think I was watching The Witcher at the time as well and like all these magical fighting shows were just a little too much I for totally forgot about Wheel of Power but now that yeah. you mention it up I don't know why the visuals are like bleeding into one another <laughs> they're very similar know. and I mean uh, if you went to like a bookstore and you picked up both of these books that they're like based off of they would look very similar they look, they're like the Twilight's genre of writing you're right on it i think um my uh so my brother and my sister-in-law were over over the weekend and we were browsing through netflix and they stumbled on season two of shadow and bone i think um one of them had asked me if i had seen season one i was like no i don't think i have and but like for me i was like mixing up <laughs> uh i was mixing i was like mm, and i also kind of thought it was the the elf show with uh what's his name that Australian actor that does all those stunts on the CW stuff. There, there were like four or five shows that came out on streaming platforms around the same time, and, and Shadow and Bone was one of them. 
so like you're right like a lot of this stuff keeps blending into each other so i like forgot what i did see and what i haven't seen because i think wheel of power i've only seen like a few episodes i don't think i saw the whole thing i mean they're all decent shows they just are so similar that it's kind of hard to stack these ones up against each other but i'm like halfway through shadow and bone already and it's only been like a couple days of streaming it so they're they're very easy to just let the five second warning go without interruption where they just pick up that next episode you know what you should watch also that's yeah hit me. that ended this week oh i have the bad batch i have, <laughs> I have one day to, to watch this <laughs> bad batch oh gosh is that over it's over but like i think i mentioned it before but like ever Good, since that it's over dropped, let's go <laughs> Ever since Mandalorian dropped, man, and they've been so we've been dropping one Mandalorian episode, one Bad Batch episode every week, except for this week. I think this week was two Bad Batch episodes to finish off the season. For some reason, like ever since Mando started, they've been dropping all of the good episodes for Bad Batch, and it just felt like we were taking so long before that to get to a good spot. Uh, but this season, like especially like the end of the season, kind of gives us a very big. Well, not big, not very big. It's it's a very significant kind of little detail for those for Star Wars lore, um, which is great. I just feel like they kind of um, they kind of butchered the marketing of the show because I feel like ever since Mando came out, it's been like the sole focus of you know marketing this show over Bad Batch. Uh, but yeah, like they're not they're what like twenty two minutes per episode or so. Um, I feel, but like I think you might have said this a couple weeks ago, but they they really should have dropped this whole season at once. I feel like it would have done it a lot better. Um, I think it would have gotten a lot better word of mouth too, just because like it's it's really good. The back half of the season is really good, but the first half just made me want to almost quit on the series. Yeah, and I did quit, and I I'll, I'll go back and rewatch these because you're right. Like it only takes one rainy weekend to kind of churn through it all. But you're right, there is no marketing behind this because it's like even when you log on to Disney Plus, you could be watching all the Star Wars and they never put it in the top scroll. So it's never really like pushed at you. And there's elements that tie into Mandalorian a bit. Um, the cloning oh, yeah. stuff anyway. Yeah. yeah. So so there's stuff that I feel like they should be. They really should, because like I don't know, I like I have we haven't seen the viewership numbers and all that. I've, I keep seeing people put up these videos that like, oh, Mandalorian season three was like the lowest viewership in in the series history. But then when you take a look at the actual numbers, it's not. It's just lower than Book of Boba Fett by like a point something percent off. But I, I don't know. It just like it feels like they're kind of doing the shows at the service a bit. Like they, they didn't even market Andor all that much either when it came out. For good reason. <laughs> okay <laughs> but is this show like answering some of the questions that we kind of wanted like is it really going into like order 66 a little bit more or like so i guess without spoiling too much we're seeing like the beginnings of like or we're seeing the transitions from clones to stormtroopers and exactly why it happened um we're seeing a potential clone rebellion slash uprising thing going on but they're like especially the last couple episodes they're getting into like the mystery of like what's going on with the cloning stuff because they're tying in expanded universe material from like before 
the prequels were out. These they had they had these novels that had um, Grand Admiral Thrawn as the main villain, and there's a couple of locations that are shown in Bad Batch that I feel like are going to be uh, popping up on the Ahsoka show or Mando wherever they're going to set up Thrawn in. Um, but we're starting to kind of put a few pieces together on like what exactly is going on from the cloning perspective. And I think, again, this is just me as a fan speculating, but I think that we're starting to see the little connective tissue that we're going to get for the prequels. Cause ultimately that whole Snoke stuff was never really covered in the movies. Um, obviously there's like an element of cloning for Palpatine and all that. I think between bad batch Mandalorian and possibly Ahsoka, we're going to get those um, little gaps bridged there. When can I get some more Maul in my life? I just—that's all I care about. Yeah, that's gonna be tricky. <laughs> After Solo, but before Rebels, that's the time period I want. They—they they really like. Okay, so remember how they said they wanted to do a Lando show with Donald Glover back yeah. in that role. While I wasn't necessarily on board for that, I'm on board for that era to be touched because, like, I want to see what Maul was doing with his whole criminal underworld. Because at some point between that and Rebels, he lost it, right? Because he was all off on his own. I would love that. I would love, um, yeah, it it, it could get a little tricky. I don't know. I've heard, like, some rumors that the Ahsoka series is going to have some flashbacks to that kind of time. Like, we're going to see a live-action version of the conflict that took place in Rebels. Like, that stuff I'm totally on board with. I'm just kind of... I wonder how they're going to work all that in with the shows that are on the books, you know? Like, without spinning it off into its own thing. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited for the Ahsoka. Of the things we have on the table. I think that's probably the next thing to look forward to. Yeah. Before we get too far ahead, though, let's let's focus on the here and now, right? Let's talk Mando, the pirate. That's an interesting title for this episode. Army <laughs> matey. Ar. I mean, uh, it was Davy Jones, basically, right? Can, before we get into anything, though, can I just the 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 little I guess Gamorian or no Ugnot? I think it is the 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 little guy that's like the right hand person of the, yeah. of the big pack the Bespin guy yeah as soon as i saw him i'm like that looks like me from peter pan but like in live action and as an alien the little chubby guy that was uh captain hook's um punching bag essentially in the oh my gosh movie. it does <laughs> right <laughs> i could not get that image out of my head for the why rest do you of the know episode. this character's name <laughs> Because he just like it's it just struck me like the and the red jacket of the main pirate guy was like giving me Captain it was very Hook Captain vibes. Hook yeah yeah but the beard was definitely like uh, Davy Jones it was yeah I like I like that I think it's it's cool when they have a little fun with some of these characters like that's kind of how all these other monsters and aliens were created in the original trilogy it was just like. Give me something that looks like it's from another world. Yeah, and it's also like we've seen it in animation. It was just so cool to kind of see it in live action, you know, because there's a level of cheese to it, right? But like, I think it's like, I think it's funny because like all this stuff is owned by Disney at this point. So it's kind of like a self-referential thing. I mean, they made a lot of references in this episode as well. I I don't want to be the 
27 things you missed podcast give, but there were a bunch that were like it is nice fan service give them to me Emma. give me the, <laughs> give um, me the 27 I'm obvious things <laughs> but tell, tell me your thoughts on this because I, I think you and i were having pretty much like in line with like the last couple of weeks episodes that we thought were kind of you know from good mediocre to a little bit of a mixed bag yeah i think by the end of the season we're probably gonna have very similar like overall feelings of this show and also similar like if we had to rank the episodes uh, it does seem like we are pretty much on the same track here, but I think this episode gets us back to where we want to be and what we expect from this show. I think it takes that, like those great action fight sequences that we love because I mean, he's a Mandalorian. He should be having epic fights, but then they also kind of like paired it with some like overarching mystery in the world that needs to be solved. And like somebody sees it, but not everybody sees it or is willing to, um, and I think this one achieved what we've been criticizing for the past few few critiques were like they can't have two plot lines coexist in the same episode. Where this this one, I think they they do achieve that balance of flipping between one and then back to the other and then back to the other and then having them come together. Um, I think that is a good sign to see. Like if they can accomplish it here, they might be doing it more often in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think we we really went back to the elements that really work for this episode. Um, this is what I thought episode three was going to be. Yeah, but but again, I think it's it's kind of like I hold a little bit more. Um, I'm a little bit more, I guess, forgiving of this show in particular because I feel like for one, it's a streaming show, right? Like I I think the rules of traditional television are a little kind of skewed when you're trying to play up to. A, an audience that's on you know exclusively online uh but then the other thing too is like as much as i there's things that i disliked about the last two episodes um it did a lot of good from a world building perspective and like there was none of those two episodes took anything away but rather added to more of the lore and kind of expanded things a little bit uh i think it was just like a pacing issue honestly for me because i think like if they would have blended the last two episodes together this would have been a perfect episode four, but now it's like episode five. So it's like sometimes because we only have eight episodes to play with, it just feels like we're wasting time because of like how much time we have to to really play in this world. Uh, I really like this episode though. From the callbacks, you know, we talked about the whole like Captain Hooks me thing um, to the action sets that I think like this is something where I think if you look, go back to season one, I wouldn't have expected this level of action until the finale, just given the whole little kind of shift. This whole season, I think, has felt a lot more larger scale than the last two seasons. And I think some folks have been having a bit of a reaction to that. Like, I've seen some complaints online that we're not getting enough Dinjarin, um, that the show's kind of cheesy and corny. Some people are, like, comparing this to, like, the seriousness of Andor. And the thing is, like, the reason why I feel like this show works for me and I'm a lot more forgiving of it is because it feels a lot like Star Wars. Like, I don't need to make any excuses to make it fit into that whole. Like, I like Andor, but it doesn't feel like too much of Star Wars. I almost need to kind of, like, excuse little elements and push it under great performances and all that on that show. But it's just missing some of that Star Wars magic, uh, whereas this show doesn't lack in that. And then, like, this episode is a prime example of when it works, it really, really works. And I think that it delivers a lot of things that we have been wanting. 
we got progression on Bo's story. We got progression on uh, every. I think everybody but Din. Din is the only one that I'm still kind of like, all right, where are we going with him? We still obviously I think, and the one exciting thing, before I wrap my thoughts, initial thoughts here. This is I think this is the last episode that we have any footage of from the trailer. So from here on out, the last three episodes, we've not seen a single frame of what's coming. And that's something I continue to like about the show because they did that in the last two seasons as well. The last three episodes are always a surprise because we don't know what's going on directionally. And visually, we can always kind of count on like, okay, well, we saw this scene on the trailer or that. But like everything that we saw in the trailer has been covered up to this point. So I'm excited to see what they haven't shown this yet. Yeah, I didn't even realize that about the trailer, but that is the nice thing that they do with this. Because I, I know we talked about that a lot with season two. Um, that one of the first points you made there about like fan critique, where this is like, I get not seeing a lot of him in this show can be upsetting, but it's only been like maybe two episodes where he isn't the main character, so it's really not that much. Plus, he had like two episodes where he was the main character of Book of Boba Fett, so. I don't really understand those complaints. Plus, I think this show has evolved past it's he is the Mandalorian. I think they're now going for the angle of like we're talking about the Mandalorian like people and trying to reunite them all. Um, so I feel like people need to be a little bit more fluid with that or accepting. I think it also rings true with some of the animated shows too. Like Rebels season one was very like it's all just about it's it's like about that that family, but it's through the eyes of Ezra. But then as the series progresses, we get to focus on Sabine a little bit more. We get to focus on Hera. Zeb even gets a couple episodes. So like that, you know, I think that's what's going on here. And for anybody that's been living in this and has been a fan of that, it's is great. But for people who haven't been accustomed to that, I feel like they're probably the ones voicing of that this pleasure i think more than than the rest of us but i think we can get into the yeah let's get into specific scenes characters plot points um we can probably just touch on mando and grogu quickly because like you said they weren't really in this episode that much yeah they were well to be fair mando had a had a good speech there of like why we should go back and help him and i think that is the closest we're going to get to him really being a leader. Well, he he's kind of the driver for the actual action that takes place in here. But yeah, I think from a dialogue perspective and then in terms of like roles to do, it was very much an ensemble effort from then on. But um, I do, I, th- I think we have some progression of his story in terms of like, you're right, we did see a little bit of leadership there. I think more so than anything though, and I'm kind of like tug and pull here, right? Like who is the ultimate leader and who is the person that's just serves as the inspirational piece? Because there's always two, right? Like even historically, it's like you've got, especially like in revo- historical revolutions and stuff, you've got the figurehead that like leads the military and then you've got the person that ends up leading at the end. Um, and I, I, I'm like juggling that in my mind between Mando and Bo because Bo seems like the obvious leader and Mando seems to be like the figurehead inspirational piece of this whole thing i think we're seeing the beginnings of like seeding conflict there between Bo and, and him because i think it's almost inevitable he has a dark saber she's going off to recruit mandos at the end of this 
episode that from what we've learned are a lot more like they're not necessarily following the traditional way of the mandos but they probably will be asking to see that dark saber you know will will it be and she doesn't have it so i think at some point we got to see some sort of conflict between them or compromise i, I don't know um but yeah i did i did find that ending interesting and we'll get to that later but i think you're right they are setting up that divide not just amongst us as fans but you can start to see it within the camp of the mandalorians as well where Vizla is like taking the side of mando for his bravery and his commitment to saving his kid and then the armor is like nothing but praise for Bo, and it's like are these are the two like the armor and Vizla are the two leaders of this sect and now they're splitting up on who gets the credit for that mission and it's i think that is like creating those that rift within their organization but also like what we are talking about as fans and i love that just like in the last two seasons mando seems to be oblivious to any sort of <laughs> like struggle going on there yeah he's so simple where it's like let me just make a like a petition or a plea that we should go help out my old friend who's yes he attacked me once and he killed uh, responsible for like killing most of the uh, our old members but he's coming around and he's a nice guy now and and then he <laughs> goes back to Bo and he's like all right it's up to them it's like what <laughs> what <laughs> you have the dark saber start making demands I think he's just like that kind of guy. Like he's not yeah. the guy to force any sort of thing on you. Yeah. Um, also, like he, like I said, he was kind of like the the driver for a lot of the action here. Like he has R five, um, who apparently like gave away <laughs> the location to to the um, the covert, and uh, that relationship he established with uh, was a captain or commander Karsten, which now comes into the forefront for this episode. Like I thought, I thought that was cool, and I thought that they keep the fact that they bring back that same character to establish our connection to the larger world of the new Republic, I thought was pretty, pretty neat here. Yeah. I've never trusted our four ever since he tried to get bought over our two. <laughs> um, before, so I think that's, uh, that's kind of the extent of Grogu and Bando, honestly, in their role here, but like, we, the Ar- we don't even get any Grogu. I mean, we get one little, like, noise he makes when he sees Bo at the end yeah. of the episode but oh, other than that he's not in this at all he gave a quick meow and that's about it i which makes me really like curious what is his progression going to be in this series because they're not making it a priority agenda point other than him just being like all right i'm going to start learning the ways of what the mandalorians do well i think we're you know we're not going to see that, I think, until either the finale or next season. Because I, I don't like. I think a lot of this story has is to just set up the whole Mandalorian point, I'm which not... is fine. But if they rush it at the end, where they go like, he's now a master Mandalorian. It's like, well, we haven't seen any of that. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get to that point. I, I don't know. I think Grogu is an interesting kind of thing because I, I don't, the way they handled it, I think, is a little weird. Because I, I honestly, I would have thought and might have even liked, like cutting back to Grogu at Luke's school this whole season, you know, and then just have them separated for this entire season, maybe reunited a little bit down the road. 
but they chose to go about it a little bit differently. So yeah, it, it just feels like we he's kind of sidelined a little bit. Uh, the R5 or R4, I always forget. I think it's R5 um, plot, though. And you mentioned like having a lot of little like Easter eggs and stuff to this. A little bit of a quick point out here, but like back in the the nineties when like Hasbro was doing all these like Star Wars like toys and stuff, bringing it back when there was no movies coming out, they released a bunch of original trilogy figures. <laughs> And one of those was that droid, but like the back card of it, which back in the 90s and the 2000s, they would have a little bio of the character that you're buying. Um, so the figure itself had like all these weapons that you could detach from his body. <laughs> but it, like it created this whole little backstory on the back of that action figure uh, about how R5 was a member of the Rebel Alliance and a spy. And so it was his mission to not get bought by the Jawas so to make sure that R2 gets bought. Which was such a like ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that it kind, of, you know, that's the the in this episode we kind of get a nod to that by alleging that he was part of the rebellion for some point. That was pretty neat and like oh, quite a bit of a deep cut for anybody who knows any of the useless info I just viewed. But um, some, yeah, sometimes though this like fan service goes a little too far. Yeah, you, I agree. <laughs> you've used R5 like four or five times in this series. We're we're playing the same cards. I was cool with just letting him be like the junkyard droid that Mando got sold on. You know, like that's fine. But yeah, like I said, I I don't think this this fan service moment necessarily takes anything away. But for anybody who knows any of this backstory stuff, you kind of start to question: Well, is that canon or is it not? <laughs> like, right. It, I don't know. I try not to think of it all too much that way because I feel like it's just kind of like a little nod and a wink to to fans, but I don't think it's meant to be anything else other than than that. Well, the one cool appearance was the was seeing Zeb from Rebels. You talked about him earlier. Yeah. Like getting a live action version of him, and he actually looked pretty good. The CGI was was so good. I I for yeah. I was scared to be honest when they were talking about the Ahsoka show being like a live action rebels sequel i was like all right everybody but zeb right because for a streaming show i don't think you have the budget to show zeb he's, he's a purple tony the tiger how are we gonna pull this <laughs> off he looked really good for a well-lit scene which yeah. surprised me because everything else in the show is puppets yeah and also bringing back the voice actor from the show i mean we've talked about that before being really important to fans and it just like it would look so weird if you nailed the CGI of the character, but you couldn't get the voice to be something that matches. And his voice just comes out of that so perfectly. The The second he opened his mouth to talk, I knew it was Zeb. Yeah, it wasn't just like another one of those species uh, making an appearance. So I, I loved having him in this. There was a few others, like Filoni was in that shot as well. I didn't really spot that. I saw that like on articles or whatever but um i don't know is it does it bother you when these directors keep putting themselves in this show i mean i probably would do if i was a direct directing something on star wars well i think um in, in one of those documentary episodes dave filoni kind of talked about that he like alleged to favreau that he didn't want to be put in there because it would mean that now he's a character in there and for continuity's sake he'd have to make appearances here and there 
but I noticed Deborah Chow. I did not notice Dave Filoni until afterwards. And the only reason I think I noticed Deborah Chow is because she's looking at the camera uh, when you're uh, when we're look, you know we have that over the shoulder shot of uh, of Zeb and and Karsten. Um, and I just like I I saw a lot of the press junket stuff for for Kenobi, so like I got used to seeing her face all everywhere. Uh, but the three directors that flew those X-Wings in season one in that prison escape episode were in that little scene. Um, I don't necessarily get bothered by it only because it's not like they were focusing on them. I think were they to give them full-on episodes, that would bother me for sure. No, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I don't think they're overplaying that card too much because um, it seems like once a season they make a reappearance, which is not that big of a deal. One thing that did take me out, and as we're like talking about this, because I feel like this this whole like Captain Carson subplot is very interesting, but also um, the one there's one actor that appeared on this that uh, I'm forgetting his name, but he was in Community, and it's like it took me out for a minute because he's always plays like such a goofball, and that's the um, one of the commanders at the at the at the New Republic uh, base. I'm trying to remember this guy's name, but it's just not coming to me. I, need, I might need to do a quick Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows, there you go. Yeah, SNL great. He he took me out of it a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Because no, you didn't like it. I I didn't not like it. It's just like, I it just like it's one of those faces where you it, see. It's like getting see, Bill Burr in yeah. season two, where it's like, where did he come from? Is he a fan of this like of the genre or what are we doing right. here? Like I would be, it's the same feeling I would have if I see Ricky Gervais in one of these episodes, and it's like fully him versus being a voice, you know. It just kind of took me out a little bit, just because I'm used to him saying like overtly funny stuff. So I'm like, oh no, are we gonna get that here? Like, is are we about to experience that? And thankfully, they didn't like overplay it all that much. But yeah, it was just like an interesting thing to kind of see how many people are, are starting a cameo here. Yeah, there was another one, too. I forget which moment it was in this. And I was trying to find it in the credits, but I, I think it was like an unnamed person where there was somebody's voice of like one of the maybe it was a Mandalorian during the fighting in Navarro. And I knew the voice, but I couldn't place it like I, I'm pretty sure it was somebody famous. And I'll, I'll go back and look at that again. But uh, while we're still on that uh, Carson Teva plot, I didn't mind Tim Meadows being in there, but I'm kind of getting a sick of this converted moff gideon <laughs> <laughs> like well, i don't i don't like her at all and i get I, it, I don't know it's so difficult to just get a read on her and that's probably the only reason why i don't like her because she's like getting pleasure out of seeing other systems fail but she like she, and she's playing these rebels perfectly well, I think she's kind of there for that purpose, right? Like, it's to kind of show, I guess, to further, because there's a lot of things playing up to this, but like to further highlight how inefficient this government is and kind of like justify why it, it, you know, things went the way they went for the sequel trilogy. Um, I, I, I don't have like a negative opinion of the of the character, but I do like the fact that like a character like Carson Tabor was able to pick up on the BS like right off the bat. But it also shows, like, Tim Meadows' character, like, the complacency and the, like, really, I guess, like, kind of arrogance and 
ignorance of the New Republic to allow that kind of thing from from happening, like right under their nose. Yeah, and he's so like focused in on the paperwork aspect of the job that he doesn't care. Like he he views like, oh, do we save that system? Oh, sorry, no, I have twenty systems ahead of them on my list that I have to go help out first, so they can go at the bottom of my of my stack. But I think the only reason why I don't like her is the ending of that other Coruscant episode where what does she gain by hurting Pershing more? If she's truly like this triple agent of like, I'm an agent of chaos and I just want to see, you know, these guys never really rise to, you know, good authority or, or to power. Why does she like, why not free Pershing or why not like turn off the torture of him? So I, my theory before was that she was trying to gain enough confidence from the New Republic to be giving a higher a stature, right. right? And then be able to to find out where they're keeping Moff Gideon and break him out. That was my original like thinking. That out the window in this episode uh, because of that ending. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I feel I feel like they they, they should at least kind of nudge us in like what's going on with her. I, right now, my only pivot here is that she's working for Thrawn, and we just don't know it yet. I don't know. It just I'm more so interested in what her agenda is now because I feel like the everything that I could have tied to her before doesn't make sense to after this episode's and and the credit sequence. I guess. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is like she wants to hurt anybody who did Moff Gideon wrong. So all the rebels should pay, Pershing should pay, because like if he was better with his science than and his experiments, then like they wouldn't have run into this trouble. Because the rebels never would have risen up. So it's kind of hard to read though. And that's like the only frustrating part about her character. Yeah, we just need answers quicker. Because <laughs> like I just I want to be interested. I just need you to tell me why. Or just I stop bring her in. Because I think that's the thing right. is like there are some of these subplots that we don't care about, but you're forcing us to care because it's all you're showing us. And if you don't follow through with it by the end of the season, then it's like, what did we waste that time for? Yeah, I hope there is some worthwhile follow through because, like I said, everything I thought proven wrong at the end here. Um, the other thing too, like one point before we move away from this, like there was a line I think in the in the Pershing episode where they were talking about that there's a process to decommission the rebel fleet. And it just further, like, like looking at the conflict here, like imagine like you're a new government and you're decommissioning your military vehicles when you still need them. Like it just like, I don't know. Like for me, it, it it's this series is doing a nice job at like explaining why the sequel in the sequels, we had a new Republic that, was not allied with the resistance and why we even needed a resistance to to begin with there. Yeah, that's a great point to bring up because that's so easy to just skip over. Um, but it so fits with why these guys fail because they want to not be their enemy, but then they go so far the other way that they end up just reopening the door for anyone to walk through. There was a book I read before Force, oh no, when Force Awakens came out about the politics of Star Wars, and it was like from the point of view of Leia during the sequels, and it highlighted like a whole fight between her and Mon Mothma, because it, it just said that after the war, Mon Mothma decided to decommission the fleet, and Leia was the one that was still paranoid and being like, "No, there, there's still issues going on. We should have a centralized military. It just should be governed better." 
and some people were like criticizing the book but i always thought that was so neat because now we're like seeing those little things be played out here um it's just like it, it, it's another one of those examples where i thought like they do such a good job at the lore building here that you know it, it's not it's not necessarily calling back to that book but it's just kind of showing us like why things don't work out and i like i really appreciate that because it helps me appreciate stuff that i maybe don't at the moment or haven't a lot before yeah absolutely uh where do you want to go next i guess the only other thing really is like the big fight on navarro yeah um the mandos moving in finally like working as a coordinated unit there was was pretty cool to to finally see yeah i feel like bo's gonna get a lot of the credit for how this mission was run but aside from just her saying if we work together as a strong unit that's like that's all she said she didn't teach them what that means or i mean maybe it was like you should fill in the blanks there but uh, I think she's going to get a little too much credit for than what she actually did in this. Well, if we've learned nothing else from Star Wars, it's that inspirational speeches can do wonders for you, especially when your fleet gets like attacked by Palpatine lightning, and then you got to reset your ships right in time to destroy all those mini Star Destroyers. There are more of us. <laughs> it's just people, sir. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, that I don't know if I wanted them to spend any time though explaining to us like strategy and all that, just because I feel like from I'm torn, right? Because like we we talked about this last week, but like I thought the Mandalorians here didn't seem all that well trained, but then like we have this episode where they look like they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, they're so, a squad. Yeah, and they were playing out like it, and they all landed in the same spot, by the way. So yeah, you never see that. <laughs> I was like very unrealistic. <laughs> But I, I really thought the like street level fighting was mo- uh, was the most exciting part of this. It felt like in the air you knew Bo and Mando were not going to lose their fights. They're two v tens or whatever they were outnumbered. <laughs> so the street fighting though was was definitely where it was at. Um, seeing these Mandos get back up from um, Vizsla and then the armor showing up. I particularly liked when Paz Vizsla showed up after the Mandos unlocked the the 15 kill streak um, to unlock the Juggernaut. You know, yeah. <laughs> bonus. That, that's what that felt like. He was like camping on the the spawn point of it. <laughs> I'll take the big gun. They couldn't get that tactical nuke though, just because they they set up the <laughs> they set up that little um I guess sentry cannon or whatever they call it. Uh, which by the way, like I think it's a turret. Is it a turret? I thought they called it like a sentry gun. Turret. Oh, I guess that would make more sense because it wasn't sh- sentry gun was like the automatic spinning back and forth. But no, I and that gun too is like if you're a fan of the battlefronts, those came in all the time as perks, and it's so cool to see it in live action and have like the right sound and not be used as like get direct hits but use it as like get splash damage like i love that uh inclusion in this episode i keep loving the n1 starfighter too like oh, the, the yeah. more i see it the more i love that ship and I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest in the phantom menace i wasn't a big fan of the design of it i thought it looked too sleek. really yeah but here like it works and like the modifications all that yeah, and, and it's it seems like a sports car that's been modified to like blow stuff up, you know. 
Well, I mean, they have been reusing the same shot like three times now, where he just like it'll be the enemy going looking around, going like, "Anyone see where he's at?" And then it'll just be like him coming from below. Like it, it was cool the first time and the second time, but we're on the third time showing that same scene. It's like J.J. Abrams lifting a ship through the clouds in anything he does. Yeah, that's true. There, there's there, there's a lot of elements of that, but then there's also like, what else do you do in in the starfight with with this kind of capacity? Oh no, I'm not saying stop doing it because <laughs> <laughs> it, it works, and it's it's such it's the same like um like goosebumps every time he does it. it. It's just such a great sound and visual. I honestly would have preferred if the pirate captain lived. And the other dude, the side character, was the one that got killed in this in this episode. I, I just felt like I, I don't want to see him again. <laughs> it just didn't like I'm not that interested in that character. I'm more well, interested you want in the, the pirate, main pirate to live, but then the other one to die. Yeah, the one that confronted Mando early in the season that just flew off and betrayed his captain in this episode. Yeah, what was his name? I thought it was the similar name to uh, the guy in. Who, who was with like Obi Wan? Was that was that clones? What Hondo? Yeah, it wasn't it was Hondo. Similar, it wasn't species. Hondo, but it was was a. I know Gorian Shard was the uh, group. Wasn't Gorian Shard the captain? Uh yes. No, our research. he might actually be the the guy I'm thinking about here. Look at us doing our research on the fly. Regardless, though, I do agree with you. I think you got to wipe them all out. But I don't I don't see him coming back. I see that more as a full on defeat where he'll just go find another crew and kind of follow along there. I'm going to make a prediction and say that these pirates show up again in uh, the Skeleton Crew or some other show that was taking place around the same timeline. I mean, it's fine if we see him again. I don't think we're going to see him as, like, they're coming back for Navarro for our fourth time. Like, I don't think Navarro's in trouble because this guy gets away. I think Navarro's in trouble for Moff Gideon. Do tell. Uh, Karst- Captain Karsten's theory? About how the pirates are connected to Moff Gideon in some in some way, I, like I don't think he's necessarily off from that. Like it's one thing to show up, right, for vengeance for your men, but I think there was some ulterior motive here. Like I think it was to serve a distraction uh, for it. Like we still haven't seen who attacked Bo's castle, right? And I have some theories, but I I do think that the pirates are somehow connected to Moff Gideon because also the pirate captain comes in and mentions Moff Gideon by name and says, like, you don't have the protection of Moff Gideon anymore. So how would he know if they were so, like, undercover and stuff before? I don't know. I think there's some connection there. Yeah, it's possible. I think the distraction makes the most sense. I don't think teaming up makes any sense because it's like... One of Mandalore Mando's rules was never trust a pirate, and I feel like everyone's got that same mentality of a similar intelligence. So I don't think Moff would, but I think he would certainly be like, use that as my distraction over there while I get away. Yeah, um, over here. 
I, I, I don't know. I think that he's utilizing them to some degree at some capacity. I, I don't know. That's just me. That's just my whole theory here. I am curious why, and I know they tried to address it in this episode, but I'm curious, like, why is Navarro such a interesting place? It's a trade planet, right? I think that's what they said. Like, this is the primary point where a lot of commerce comes through. I essentially would think it's Best like location. Singapore. Yeah, it's it's like the it's like Singapore during the pirate days, right? Like the that's the one entry point where you could do whatever stuff you need to do. And it's an independent planet, so technically it's out of the eyes of the new republic. So you don't mm. necessarily catch a lot of heat by doing what right. you want to well, do there. It answers that question. But that's just the Mexican to me. <laughs> <laughs> um <Discord> no, uh, <laughs> what? Um <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the last sequence here when um, they get rewarded, you know, the pot of land that they get now, uh, which is basically where they were before, except now they have the surface of it. Uh, I couldn't stop thinking about how interesting power is in this episode. Why is uh, Grief, car or yeah, why is Grief like still in charge? He just failed to protect this planet. Why is he up there going like everyone's clapping? He's like, "Thank you, thank you. We we all did, we're in this together." Like it's such a facade. Uh, I don't get why he's a leader still. I mean, yeah, he called for help, and that help oh, kind of, you know, half the town was killed before that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like going to an independent country. <laughs> Like, yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of, like, a trip through Latin America and just kind of seeing what the setup is there for, like, leadership and stuff. It's kind of, it. I think it just plays into the fact that, like, Navarro is this independent state and, like, whoever has the most connections or influence is the one that's going to gather more power there. So regardless of whether you did a good job or not, it's more like, can you keep the power? And, that, and now it's like, well, he... He's like courting favor with the Mandalorian, so he yeah. technically has muscle back on, on his side. Right, but he had no guns for hire, so like the Mandalorians could have easily just taken this planet for themselves without having to be like, oh, you're giving us a section of land? Great, thanks. Well, if they were still Death Watch, they would have definitely taken <laughs> the whole planet. <laughs> but now they have the way, so it's it's against the creed. But no, this uh, so they do get... A, like a section of land. I'm assuming it's not just Din who's going to be security. I'm I'm guessing it's going to be like they share patrols between everybody on, in this crew. Probably, yeah. And hopefully they get some privacy so they could take off their helmets without having to leave a campfire. <laughs> <laughs> Although, is that going to still be the way? Who knows? Yeah, let, let let's let's talk about that because that whole you and I, I think we're on the same page last week. We we're like, it seems like Bo was getting gaslit. By by the armor, where she's like, "Oh yeah, you did. You saw the mythosaur. That's nice." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe out, she, yeah, she does believe her. Yeah, which uh, I'm like, the more and more that we see about the armor, the more I I do kind of like her, just because like initially I thought she was like this stuck in the old way kind of thing. Like I thought she hated Bo just because of the way that she talked about her before, but clearly she's very open minded. And I think clearly she sees past the dogma of her own beliefs and 
you know, sees the need to like be a little bit more accepting of being able to combine the group, regardless of whether they're following her necessarily strict views or not. It's a little bit wonky though, because like this I'm is where I'm gonna disagree with you though. Okay. <laughs> I don't think she is going to allow like the armor is going to allow these other Mandalorians into the community if they don't follow the way. Hmm. I think she's using Bo as like the bait on the hook to reel in the rest of the Mandalorians and then how she thinks she's converted Bo into seeing the, the right way. She's going to try and convert everybody else. So she knows the only way to make this bait appealing is if I send out Bo with my approval to take off her helmet and be like, Oh no, these guys are cool with whatever lifestyle you choose. And then be converted when they get there. I thought about that too, but the thing is, like, the actions that she's taken don't, to me, illustrate somebody that's after that level of power. Um, and like, she's been a lot more accepting than I thought she would be in the beginning of this season. But it's not about power for her; it's about just unifying the nation under this. It's some. It's a fanatical religious belief. Like, it's she just wants to spread that. So that everybody believes in the same thing. I would agree, but I feel like I don't know. I I I kind of take her at face value in this episode, and that might be that might you be. You should. Just... You can't even see her face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I walked into that one. Uh, <laughs> no, I like I choose to kind of like believe her off the bat, only because like I feel like up to this point there she hasn't done anything. That necessarily leads me to suspect that she has an ulterior motive in that way. I think she's unintentionally about to cause a, a bit of an issue because I think, I think two things. I think Bo looks at it like she's just been crowned the leader of this group. I think the armorer looks at it a little similar to what you were saying, in that she looks at her as the unifier, the symbol, the way that I think Bo looks at Mando. In terms of like the person that might be able to inspire people for a cause. But I think when it comes down to it, I think the armor will not necessarily let Bo lead the Mandalorians in New Mandalore. I think that's going to pivot to Din because of the Darksaber. Yeah, I absolutely think the armor is playing Bo here. Because she sees this like ambition of like, but I saw the Mississaur and I, I, I'm... I should be a leader. My house like used to be, and I think she's like the armor recognizes this and it's like leveraging that desire for leadership to be like, okay, go lead these Mandalorians back to us and then we'll take it from there. But I totally agree. I think it's a bait and switch where she'll use Bo to bring him in and then have Din be like, look, he's the Darksaber wielder that you guys wanted to follow and he's he's following the path of the way. So you should too. Yeah, I feel like something like that, I think, is what's going on. But maybe less the theory. I don't know. I, I'm still kind of hopeful that she means what she says in terms of, like, having both cultures represented there. Because to me, spending time with Bo, I think, is something that she hadn't done before. Like, she hadn't really had exposure to people that were adamantly against or not, or not necessarily following the, the, the creed to the same degree that she was. But I, I, you know, again, I might be, I might be wrong on that. Um, it's just like that's that's my theory, my working theory. Yeah, I keep thinking everyone's out to get Bo as well with this like 
no, you can take your helmet off. You're cool. Like, <laughs> like I think they're just like all out to get her or something. And maybe they are, but I, I do see this going as like, bring them back. Even if they put on the helmets, they're not going to be redeemed. So we all have to go back to Mandalore together. We'll all bathe in the waters together. And then we'll all be starting this religion right. I just don't see her being that nefarious, but I don't know. Like, I, th- to me, it, it doesn't strike me as like she has it. I think she's unintentionally creating that tension, though, because because I do feel like she she genuinely does want to see both sides live together. But I think when you bring those ty- those two sides in, it's going to become a little bit of a mess, similar to the way that like religious sects, you know, w- work in, and, and don't work in tandem sometimes because it's those little things that divide you and your beliefs that there are particular people that will hammer away at that. And that'll become the only thing that they see. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like she's not planning anything nefarious, but we'll see. Like, yeah, it could like go the, either way. It's like the Pope being okay with gay marriage. Like, right. <laughs> people can't accept that. There are certain people can't accept that. And then others are like, oh, we haven't cared about that. So glad we have someone in power who doesn't either. But it's, yeah, because yeah, her walking right next to Bo-Katan with her helmet off sends a very powerful message that she's approving it. And you can see a lot of the Mandalorians are like, stop what they're doing, stare at her and question. And then even Vizsla is like, wait, what the heck? And looks back at Din and Din's like, I guess it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I saw that little like look and he's like, you, you cool with this? And then he just gives <laughs> that little like chill. Yeah. She, she's she good. Can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this like bro ship they have here now, Paz. And yeah, they are getting closer. I wonder. I I think the big thing that I still want to see out of this show is like, I want to see Din learning how to wield the dark saber. It's about time he does. Yes, please. Vizla, like, seems like he would be confident doing it. The armor clearly understands like the dogma of it. Bo, we've seen, is able to use it he needs to learn it from somebody and they showed it in the beginning. I don't know if you watch those like previously on intro or if you skip it, but yeah, it was in the intro for this episode. And I thought for sure, we're going to like see a little bit of the dark saber, but because usually they don't waste that time with a flashback that doesn't get called back up. I thought we were going to see uh, captain Gordon shard get decapitated with that <laughs> dark saber. That would have been cool. Yeah, I, I like. I thought he was gonna flash it at some point, and then that was gonna cause a whole thing. But that didn't come to pass. Um, if if anybody teaches him, though, I I I hope, I hope it's Ahsoka. You think we're gonna get her in this series? I think almost out of obligation. Yeah, because up the next one. Well, like, why not, right? Like, from a marketing perspective, it seems like the smart move to make. And then also, like, it seems like we have at least one episode with Ahsoka per uh, season since season two, because we had season two, Book of Boba Fett, and then now this. It would feel a little weird if we didn't have at least a mention of her in this season. Yeah, I think the ideal way to work her in naturally would be, like, have these guys go after Gideon that we now know has escaped or was rescued go after him, run into Thrawn, and that brings in Ahsoka. So I have a little bit of a theory here. 
for what like based on the pieces that we have but at the end of, so at the end of this episode we get a little play into karsten uh captain karsten teva and he spots the lambda shuttle which is i guess now converted into a republic new republic vehicle um because I, I saw that and i was like oh the empire but i guess they're like it makes sense it's that a prisoner transport now yeah <laughs> But they've uh, already decommissioned all of their own ships. Then I know, now they have to use Empire. Like it just doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, man. Like, and I I get it though. We're supposed to be frustrated at the lack of, of structure there. Um, but we do get a we get a look at the inside of that ship, and obviously all the um, New Republic troopers are dead, and Moff Gideon is missing, and we get that last line where he says that there's some type of Beskar alloy. Uh, left behind and so like to me it kind of i'm thinking like either moff gideon left that behind to try and frame the mandalorian so that the new republic now goes after the mandos the more i thought about it the more i thought of something else that we have seen already in some of the animated shows and i'm not sure if you remember this in particular because it's been a few years since rebels right but they have that whole mandalorian super commandos group the one that's left led by gar saxon in that show the one that fights against Sabine and her family. Um, I don't know if you remember these episodes. Like I said, it's been a, it's been a little yeah, it's bit. It's been a while. But there was a section of Mandalorians that essentially ditched the Mando gear and worked with the Empire. And I could have sworn, I need to go back and look at those episodes, but there's a whole subplot of a weapon that could be used to destroy Beskar steel, like the, the steel found in, in Mandalorian armor. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And so they said they make mention that the the armor that they're the super commandos are wearing are a blend of Beskar and something else. And so that like to me, it's like that would be like some sort of alloy, right? Like, so I'm thinking, what if these like Mandalorian Imperial loyalists are the ones that freed Muff Gideon here? And we're about to see the, their whole subsection of people come into play. It's certainly possible. I mean, it could also just be like, I think the most likely is probably just like a frame set up by whoever actually rescued them off. Yeah, that 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 could be it too. the The other thing too, and this is some, again, this is something like a little bit of a deep cut, but I thought it was interesting to note that um, in the in some of the uh, behind the scenes documentary things, because I love to watch these things uh, from the sequels. The documentary for The Last Jedi, uh, one of the designers that was working on designing the Praetorian Guards, the ones that were defending Snoke and Kylo and Rey fought against, uh, I think there was a question of, like, how come their armor is lightsaber resistant? And they're like, oh, well, they have a little bit of uh, Mandalorian steel on them. And so it just, like, it kind of got me thinking now to this, and I'm like, is that what they were potentially building out to? Because they seem the Empire seems to have a stash of Beskar. I originally thought it was going to the dark troopers, but I don't think that's the case. That would be interesting. Were the dark troopers made of Beskar from the end of Mandalorian season two? No, I just think they had some sort of like shield component to them. But I, I thought initially because of the way that it re like deflected blaster bolts off of it. Right. I mean, it's not impossible to get. Like for anyone to get their hands on some Beskar, because yeah, like the Empire was paying Din in it in the first season, and 
the um, magistrate that Ahsoka fought had that spear. So, I mean, anybody could have it. It's really tough well, to make a I don't think prediction. But I, th- I think the, the, the whole thing was that it was looted from the Mandalorians. I think only the Empire has it. Because, like, the magistrate was working with the Empire, essentially. Right? Like, she they had the whole Seventh Fleet thing, so she, she was working with Thrawn. I don't know. It's just... It, it makes me think that the there's something about like there's got to be a reason why that planet they focus so much on not taking the best car away from it and and all that like clearly there's there's some presence of the empire still left there otherwise why would they care after all this time to still be essentially trying to keep them away from mandalore yeah and the empire ships were able to scramble pretty quickly to Bo's planet after they knew that uh, they had visited Mandalore. Yeah, right, right. So There's got to be a presence there. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something to do with Beskar that were, is, that's probably going to tie up to, to the finale or, or another sort of plot line here. It would be cool to kind of get a plot twist here that Moff Gideon was actually Amanda at some point or something. Or maybe he was like... All right, stop. I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll stop. (laughs) I was going to say any other predictions because we've kind of done a few, but now you've gone off the rails. I've gone way off the rails here. (laughs) Bring us back. (laughs) No, I think... uh, How many more episodes do we have? We have like four left? We have three. This episode five, right? Yeah, we have three episodes left. Yeah, so... There's so many ways they could go about this. It seems like the next one is just going to be Bo going off to probably find her original crew if they maybe are with other ones now. Axe Body cool Spray and Casca Reeves, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the one who loved that uh, dumpling soup or whatever it was. Tentacle oh, soup. <laughs> the moving low main pieces of low main. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm excited to see that because anytime we can introduce new Mandalorians, I'm into that. Yeah, that, I don't know if you saw there was a the, the like the the premiere for for Mando. There was a couple of actors that I thought were notable. Some of those were the Rebels voice cast members, which kind of confirmed like Zeb is in this, right? But there was one that I thought was interesting, and it was the actor that played uh, F- Fen Rao, the like Mandalorian protector character from Rebels. And it kind of got me thinking. I was like, "This guy is actually like uh, an actor besides a voice actor. Like he's a physical actor." So I wonder if we'll see him at some point. There's a lot. There's a lot, a lot of routes that they can go through, and I feel like it'd be cool to see it. Um, I wanted to ask you though, like on the on the similar vein, do you think we're going to see Sabine in this show before before the Ahsoka series pops up? Hmm. No, I wouldn't be surprised if they showed up together. Yeah, right, because they're, they're going to be on that show. So would it make sense to maybe preview her here? Like, I, I feel like that would be pretty neat just because she's a Mando. And she could also teach Din a few things about yeah. the Darksaber. Yeah. That would be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see till next one. But that 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 about wraps up my thoughts on this. Like. I could go off and ramble on different tangents, but this would be like a four hour oh, long. Sorry, time. we got to cut you for time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it is getting back to the level where it's like exciting to make theories again. And these episodes aren't on and off, you know, fun and then boring and fun. Bo- like 
it seems like we've had back-to-back good ones, so let's see if they can keep it up. You gotta watch Bad Batch to make the experience even better. Oh, sorry, we're out of time. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. Play us out. Play us. <laughs> Play us out. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>